Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. so thankful to have Carl Peterson with us this morning, faithful missionary for many decades uh, to the continent of Africa, uh, working with people there, working with pastors and churches and training up leaders within the church. So thankful that uh, we're able to be a part of his ministry and have been a part of his ministry for so many years and that he graces us with his presence uh, in the fall. And so hopefully we're talking maybe even more in the coming years, but I'm so thankful for him, for his friendship, for his love for the Lord, uh, for his uh, proclamation, faithful proclamation of the gospel. So, Carl, would you come and continue to proclaim the gospel for us now? Thank you very much, Pastor. Please open your Bible this morning to the book of First Peter. First Peter is toward the end of your Bible. First Peter chapter 5. It's a real delight to be with you here. Once again, at Grace Bible Fellowship, I always enjoy my fall visits here to you, as well as the visits we've made over the last 25 years or so, I think it is, over the, uh, as you have prayed for us for our work in Africa. My wife, Glenn, sends her love to you. She has fond memories of many of you, and she sends her regards to you. Thank you so much to... Uh, Paul and Renee Kim for your warm hospitality, good food, very cozy bed last night, and great fellowship. Thanks so much for opening your home to us as well. We are missionaries in Southern Africa, serving since 1995 with a group called Christian Missions in Many Lands. They're based in New Jersey. Through them, I teach online courses throughout the year at the Bible Institute of South Africa. I spend two months a year in Africa at the Bible College in Cape Town, teaching in two different Bible colleges in Zambia, as well as uh, running and teaching a mission uh, pastor's conference in Mozambique. We look forward to our visits there next year in the Lord's will, uh, teaching on the Zambezi River way out in uh, western Zambia, as well as these other areas. We're very excited about a new Bible college that we've had a part in uh, discussing the launch of in Mozambique, and uh, likely I will teach one course next year at this college. I, we live in the Denver area where I also serve as an elder in our own local church with four other brothers. My wife is very active with women in our local church. She comes with me from time to time on these Africa trips and is a real blessing to the pastor's wives in Africa. Our family sends you greetings as well. We've had a busy wedding season, three marriages in 11 months, 
uh, in our own family, which has driven us crazy, but we've also just thoroughly loved it. Do pray for us. My wife, Glenn, goes in for hand surgery a week from Tuesday. Uh, pray as I teach at the Bible College. Final exams are coming up soon in Cape Town, mapping out our 2024 uh, travels, mentoring young pastors in Mozambique, as well as our work in the Denver area. Thank you so much for your prayers for us over the many years, your financial support for many, many projects through your Sunday school and other things. We certainly do appreciate this. Let's open to 1 Peter chapter 5, and let me just read the first seven verses, rather the first five verses. Let's start with them. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown, uh, the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe all of yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. <clears throat> Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, <clears throat> who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Some things make absolutely no sense in this life unless you have long-range vision. Isn't that so true? We tell our children, save your pennies up. Don't spend them all. Put them in your piggy bank. Well, that makes absolutely no sense at all. Why can't I go out and spend my pennies? Because they need to have long-range vision that if you save up enough pennies, you'll be able to buy a skateboard in six months. Eating your vegetables, your disgusting vegetables, makes no sense unless you have long-range vision that one day my body will be healthy. Building your career as a young person. Why do I have to do my math? Why do I have to read books? Why do I have to learn how to write? Unless you have long-distance vis long vision because that will help me in building my career and making me useful on this earth. 
chemotherapy makes absolutely no sense with all of that poison coming in and killing things in your body unless you have long-term vision that it will get rid of the bad stuff and leave me with the good stuff. Some things make no sense unless you have long-distance uh, vision. It's the same thing with Christian living. What you are doing now as a Christian makes absolutely no sense at all if today is all there is, if there is no eternity, if there is no reward in heaven, if our brief 90 years on earth is all that there is, then much of what we do as Christians is absolutely unintelligible. Why are you trying to love your spouse you're only one spouse the best you can, putting up with him or her when you could be out spouse swapping like all the guys out there are doing and they're having a lot of fun. Why stay with just one? It seems insane. Why on earth are you giving your hard-earned money to the church when you could be keeping it? Why are you even going to church on a beautiful fall morning in the beautiful Midwest? It's a waste of time. Why are you going to prisons? Why are you going into nursing homes telling people who don't want to hear you that Jesus loves them? If you are living the Christian life the way God wants you to do, then some things will make no sense unless there is life beyond this one. Your choices, your plans, your decisions, your priorities will not be understood until someone sees that you are counting on eternity and the rewards above us. Everything is colored by anticipation that we do. Was it 10 days ago we had the lunar eclipse? Or I guess it was a solar eclipse when the moon, at least in our area, I don't know if you saw it out in this area, was blocked, the, the, the sunlight was blocked by the moon. Everything was affected. Darkness shone on everything. Shadows started bending all sorts of strange ways. In the same way, everything that we do as believers is shadowed by anticipation. That there is more than taking my last breath after 90 years on earth. Peter had long-distance vision. He lived that way. He died that way. And I'm glad that he wrote about it to us so that we can see what this is all about. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter says that every Christian walks on a path with two guardrail fences on either side. One fence is suffering, the other fence is hope. As we walk in life, we walk between suffering and hope. Those two themes intermingle throughout Peter's letter. Suffering. It can be overt persecution like these people faced. As soon as these people closed the book of 1 Peter, some of them were fed to the lions in the days of the Roman Empire and the persecutions. We will probably never have that, but suffering is any resistance that you and I have to obedient, faithful Christian living. That's one guardrail through, uh, that we walk through on this path of life. Faithfulness in spite of hard work. The other guardrail, the other fence that we walk down life on is one of hope. That we are not living only for today. We are living for tomorrow. We will be rewarded. We will see Jesus. 
what we plant now, we will eat later. That's hope, that's anticipation. And that's what 1 Peter is all about. So as Peter then wraps up his letter here in chapter 5, he, uh, his main argument is here in verse 1, that we are walking between suffering and hope. Look at how he says this in verse 1. So I exhort the elders of the local church among you, uh, as a fellow wit elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, there's suffering, there's one fence that we walk down, as well as the partakers of the glory that is going to be revealed, that is hope. And he exhorts the elders. What he's telling us here is that suffering and hope shape everything that we do. And they call us in this chapter to five things. I have a five-point message. We're going to run through these very, very briefly. First, in verses 1 through 4, suffering and hope call us to sincerity. Sincerity. Verses 5 through 7, suffering, suffering and hope call us to humility. Verses 8 through 9, suffering and hope call us to readiness. Verses 10 through 11, suffering and hope call us to confidence. And verses 12 through 14, suffering and hope, those two guardrails, those two fences which line the path of our walk in this life call us to community. Verses 12 through 14, sincerity, humility, readiness, confidence, and humility. First, let's talk about sincerity. We see this in the first few verses, 1 through 4. Peter here is exhorting the church elders here. I love his humility. He calls himself one of you elders. I'm not just a big guy in Rome, and you guys are the little lay elders. I am one of you. He's not just condescending in a false way to these little guys. It's true. I am one of you. We see that elders have two jobs here. I'm an elder in my local church. Your elders of this local assembly also have two jobs. The first one is in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd. First, they are shepherds. They're humble, hardworking, and hopeful. Humble. We're called shepherds. One of the least esteemed um, elements of the culture in those days. They're hardworking. The shepherds are the ones who are out in the fields feeding and defending the flock. And they're hopeful as well. As they lead the sheep from one place to another, there's, they're hopeful that there's grass on the other side of the hill. Shepherd's a verb. It's not a position. They're not board members. They're active feeders. The second thing that elders do here, according to this verse, is that they exercise oversight. Do you see that in verse 2? Exercising oversight. This is the second thing they do. They lead. They rule. They govern. They're not just nice guys who manage the diverse opinion. They're not like the speaker in the house who is supposed to manage the mob. And now it really is a mob in our day, isn't it? With diplomacy, pulling in all the diverse opinions. No, they lead. But look at the three ways that they do it. And it's all in our first point, sincerity. God wants us to be sincere in our hearts. Whether you're a church elder, a leader of your family, or a leader of the water fountain at the place of work, wherever you are. 
we all must lead with sincerity. Note these contrasts. Number one, and we see this uh, in verse two, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not because someone told you to do it, but because you want to do it. Not because there's nothing else to do in my life. On the foreign mission field, we at times hear of people who sense a call to God to foreign missions. That's because they don't know what else to do with their life. I didn't make it in the workplace, so maybe I could always go to Africa and be a missionary. No. Stay away. Do something else. If you can't accomplish it there, don't to come here and not accomplish it here. You'll make a hash of what you do. Not, so not under compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, we see in these verses, in verse uh, 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, we need to pay our pastors. We need to pay them well. But they serve not because we pay them well, but because they love Jesus. They love the Bible. They love the gospel. They love you, the sheep. They have hope. Third, and we see this in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't you see how this first paragraph just drips with sincerity? They do it out of love. People follow our life, not our stick. They lead by example. And so sincerity, willingly, eagerly, and exemplary. That's a new word, but I couldn't find one that fits that well. John Calvin says these three marks perfectly match the three problems that we elders face. Sloth, greed, and power. Now, this is absolutely absurd. This is not the way people lead in our political world or our corporate world, with humble sincerity. But we are walking between suffering. We've seen Jesus suffer on the cross. That's how you do it, through humility and through sincerity. And we hold on to the other guardrail of hope. Because one day, everything will be right. But this is not how people see uh, leadership today. They think if you lead in sincerity, you're absolutely insane. But our life looks insane if all we have is our 90 years on earth. No, we believe in a future. That is sincerity. The second mark we see in verses 5 through 7. The mark of suffering and hope calls us to humility. Look at what he says in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, in the local church, I think he's talking about, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders, young men. Young men and women, God has gifted you. You are smart. You are clever. You are quick. You are witty. Um, you are sharp. You are energetic. You're aware of what's going on in the world. We old guys can often be irrelevant, out of touch. Let's admit it. At least we're irrelevant with the things that don't really matter. But hopefully as we grow older, we are very relevant with the things that really do matter. And we know how to discern those. But he tells the young people here, young guys, you don't think that your elders are relevant, but they are in the things that really matter. Submit to them, serve them. Now, this must be a centuries-long problem. 
I hear the same thing in Mozambique. When we were in Africa this last uh, July at a pastor's conference, a young person stood up and said, we young people know the Bible better than our pastors do because today we have all sorts of Bible colleges and they don't. How do I serve in a church where I know the Bible better than my pastor does? That's a classic problem or the classic issue in African missions. Here's the answer. Serve with humility. Submit to them. They don't have the privileges. They're the ones who suffer persecution. You young kids didn't. So that uh, but serve them all over the place. But it's, what we see here is that it was a problem back in Peter's day is also a problem in our day as well. In verse 5, then he opens it up, not just to young people, but to everyone. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. You see, hope and suffering produce sincerity, but hope and suffering also produce humility. Because suffering humbles us. It tells us that we are not who we thought we were, some one person said. Hope also allows us to be humble because we're looking for a reward in the future. So all of you, clothe yourself with humility. Be humble. Here's the reason. Because in the end of verse 5, he says, God opposes the proud. God foils the plans of the proud. But here's the promise uh, if you are humble. God is on your side. He gives grace to the humble. He assists you. He lifts up your chin. He helps you. So have one eye on the sufferings of Christ. Look at how God exalted Jesus. Have another eye on hope. One day I will be exalted. And then, so we are to be humble toward our church leaders in verse 5. Humble toward all of us in verse 5. And then humble under God, verses 6 and 7. Look at what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What does this mean? There are times in our lives when we are laid low, when God's providence, his provision, lays us low. We get sick, problems at work, problems at home, mental darkness, situations, and we are laid low. God breaks us. God does not let our, us get our way. He allows the roaring lion to encircle us. He allows the fires of trial to purify us. And how do we respond when we are broken? Those are good times, aren't they? When we are broken, humbled, and humiliated. We could rebel. We could sink into despair. Or we could humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we respond? He says at least three things here. Number one, let God be God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let God be God. Let God provide and lead. He not only leads you to the still waters, he also not only leads you to the green pastures, he also leads you through the dark valley. Let God be God. Let him be your leader. Secondly, have faith in his mercy. It is God's hand. It is not just his mighty hand. It is God's hand that is on you. It is the hand that holds your hand. It is the hand that was pierced on the cross of Calvary that holds your hand. It is his hand of mercy. Third, 
God is the person who receives our care. So when God's providence lays me low, when I go through hard times, I hold on to his hand, and then I obey what he says in verse 7. He is the person who receives our care. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Look at that word, casting. This is Peter. What was Peter's job? He was a fisherman. This is a fisherman word. Just like Peter had cast the uh, net into the ocean, we are to cast our cares upon God. What are we to cast upon him? Our anxieties, the bad stuff. Don't just throw the good stuff on God. Throw the bad stuff on God. Your anxieties, your doubts, your worries. Yeah. God can handle it. God can shoulder it. Throw them on him. We're to cast all of our anxieties. Do you see that? Not just the, well, I think I should pray for this, but I probably shouldn't pray for that because it's too small. All your anxieties. Your anxieties. Especially you who pray for others. Do this for yourself. Well, I should pray for other people's, but I don't know about me, my own worries. Your anxieties. Throw them on him. And here's the reason. Because he cares for you. You see, this naturally comes right out of the humility section. Because when you're humble, you're always caring for somebody else, aren't you? The natural question is, I'm caring so much for somebody else, who's going to care for me? Here's the answer. He cares for you. Not just he cares for people out there, you. He cares for you. This is exactly what Jesus said on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So suffering and hope call us to sincerity, call us to humility, but it also calls us to readiness. Readiness, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, watchful. And here's the reason. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. The devil, that chief angel, his tools are to accuse, to throw suffering at us, to divide the church, to kill, steal, destroy, to distract. He distracts people, churches, nations, families. And what does he do here? He prowls. He devours. He looks for someone to devour. Make sure that that someone is not you. Finally, he roars. He doesn't meow. He roars. He frightens us. This is his tool here. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about temptation, accusation, but here it's just frightening us. He makes small things big. He makes big things seem even bigger. He tells us God is not there. He tries to drown out God's soft voice with his growl. He tells us that the wars in Gaza are going to overcome us. The wars in Ukraine. America is losing power. All these growls, they scare us. That's his tactic. So what do we do? We are to be watchful. Our eyes are to be open. Be careful. Be alert. Don't be sober. Or do uh, be sober. Don't be drunk. Don't be drowsy. Watch. We're supposed to do three things. First, resist, verse 9. Resist him. Second, be firm in your faith. Go back to those great promises of God. Be firm in your faith. Third, when we hear the roar of the lion, uh, we see this in verse 9. 
Remember that you are not alone. Resistance is normal. Look at your other brothers around the world. This is why we read biographies. This is why we read missionary letters, because we realize that we are not alone. There are other people who are experiencing the very same problems that I do. In South Africa, we see it face to face. Their problem is resisting the prosperity gospel. In Zambia, it's witchcraft. In Mozambique, it's poverty. In Japan, where I was last year, a megachurch, Grace Bible Fellowship would be considered a megachurch in Japan. They're lucky, they're happy if they have 20 people, maybe 25 people, because the gospel has not penetrated that hard culture. They're facing the very thing that we are facing. Finally, our point number three, suffering and hope call us to confidence. Let's just read this, verses 10 and 11. After you have suffered a little while, our sufferings seem deep, don't they? It's only 90 years. Eternity is so, so long. The God of all grace, again, who has called you, such a prominent theme in Peter, he himself will restore you. When you feel weak, Lord, how can I be restored? Wait, it's God who will restore you. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think what he's saying here is that everything that was taken away from you in suffering will be restored to you, either now or in eternity. Finally, in our fifth point, suffering and hope call us to community. Look in these last verses, 12, 13, and 14. There are five different groups of believers. It's full of people. Sylvanus, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother. This is Silas. Good old Silas from Jerusalem. Always carrying letters around with him, the Jerusalem count letters. Now, it seems like Peter was writing this letter, putting it into Silas's pocket, saying, Silas, get back to all these churches around Asia, put it in their mailbox, and have them read it. Then we see she who is at Babylon. That's the church in Rome where Peter apparently happened to be, a faithful flock. Then we see in verse 13, Mark. Mark greets you, my son, a faithful missionary. Finally, or the next one, verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. You and your own local church greet each other. And finally, the church universal, all who are in Christ. Friends, we suffer and we have hope in community. When you are suffering, come to church. This is where we need to suffer with other fellow sufferers. Suffering was built for community. Community was built for suffering. Don't go on it alone. And when you hear of someone suffering, surround them. Hope as well. So, dear friends, we close by reminding us where we started. Some things make absolutely no sense at all until you have long-distance vision. Mommy and Daddy, why do I have to brush my teeth twice a day? It takes too much time, and it hurts. Because when you're older, you want to have as many teeth in your head as possible. That's why you brush your teeth now. Why do I have to love my spouse with dementia when he or she does not even remember my name? Because you believe in eternity, don't you? You believe in hope when you will be reunited well. 
Being patient with your wayward child makes no sense unless you have long-term vision. Serving in your church, praying. If you are walking with Christ well, your life will look so insanely unusual if all we have is our 90 years. But one day, it will be worth it all. Some days, sometimes the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Suffering and hope, dear friends, let's hold on to those handrails as we walk the path of life. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have given us these exhortations because this is the very thing that your son went through on the cross of Calvary. Oh, Lord, how appropriate to take communion right before we hear this message from your word on suffering and hope. Oh, Lord, you went through it on the cross, seeing the travail of your soul on the other side of your suffering. We thank you. Equip us, oh, Lord. Lord, we are so easily frightened by the roar of the lion. We are so easily dismayed, Lord, when trials come upon us, when your hand is heavy upon us. Oh, Lord, but that hand is the hand that went to the cross for us. Help us to hold firmly onto you. We give you thanks. Strengthen, confirm, and establish us for Christ's sake. Amen. for bringing the word for us this morning. This time, uh, we've committed to having uh, special offerings for our missionaries. Uh, so right now, we're going to take up that offering for the Peterson specifically. So all the money you'll give right now goes straight to them and to uh, the work that they are doing. If you're not prepared, it's all right. You can still give. Uh, we just ask you to give that, uh, get that to the church sometime soon uh, this week. That way we can send out uh, the gift to them. Um, but at this time, I'll have uh, Jeff and Eric come forward. Let's take an offering. These are for the Petersons and their missionary work. 